There's going to be an opportunity during this uh, little Devar Torah um, for um, interactive, um, which means that pay close attention because I'm going to be asking some questions. So as most of us are familiar either directly from Torah's Exodus story or from the Passover Haggadah, uh, it took 10 plagues for Pharaoh to finally relent and let the Israelites go free. After the first five plagues, Torah tells us that Vayechezak Lev Paro, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. In other words, despite um, blood poisoning the Nile, frogs everywhere, an infestation of lice, swarming insects and animal disease, despite it all, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. He shakes off the devastation, digs in his heels, refusing to let the Israelites go. After the second five plagues, you know them, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and death of the firstborn. After each of those, the text reads, Adonai et lev paro, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. The Hebrew grammar makes it clear after the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Pharaoh chooses to sacrifice his own people and gut his own economy rather than buckle to this new God of the Israelites and let the Israelites go free. Yet after the second five plagues, the grammar changes in a significant way. Now it's God who hardens Pharaoh's heart. As the rabbis over the centuries have taught us to do, embedded in the culture of Torah study and being critical readers, um, we ask, Makoshi, what's the problem here? What's the problem? So this is not a rhetorical question. What is problematic in this text? This is where paying close attention comes in. What, I mean, what, what is, so did you hear anything that could be problematic? Say that again. So God, so God actually hardens Pharaoh's heart, but just a little deeper. So what's the problem with that? It didn't come from himself. I thought that we had free will. God can remove us from that. Um, so, so on the surface, on the Peshat level, um, it is God that's taken away Pharaoh's free will, removes his agency, doesn't give him a chance to, well, change his evil ways. That is indeed theologically problematic. And as is often the case, the answer can be found within the story itself. 
before any of the plagues, before any of the plagues, God says to Moses, see, I place you in the role of God to Pharaoh with your brother Aaron as your prophet. And I command you and your brother Aaron that you shall speak to Pharaoh to let the Israelites depart from this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that, that I may multiply my signs and marvels in the land of Israel. When Pharaoh does not heed you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and deliver my ranks, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt and the Egyptians. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So we begin to see the reason why God takes Pharaoh's choice away. What is God? Question number two for you. What is God trying to achieve here? What is God trying to achieve? What's important? Why take Pharaoh's choice away? What's the goal? That Ethel, yes, that God has the power and he wants the Egyptians to see this. Going through all of those plagues, making sure that actually Pharaoh cannot let them go free because it's going to be God's power. Um, and, um, and yes, God wants to make believers out of the Egyptians that they know who is the supreme God. If Pharaoh grants Moses and Aaron's request to let my people go, it could look like Pharaoh is the decision maker in control rather than God. So you'll forgive me and I'll preface this with a spoiler alert, but I'm going to peek into next week's parasha for a moment. Um, after the Israelites, after the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea. Um, so they do end up crossing the Red Sea safely. So here's, here's what God says. Thus the Lord delivered Israel that day from the Egyptians, Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore of the sea. And when Israel saw the wondrous power which the Lord had wielded against the Egyptians, the people were in awe of the Lord. They had faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. Most importantly, most importantly, and the reason for the ten plagues was that God wants to make believers out of his people. They now have seen his power with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Whatever reasons for God hardening Pharaoh's heart, sensitive, critical readers throughout the centuries have been troubled by this notion of God setting Pharaoh up for punishment by making inevitable a situation which he will not be allowed to repent. 
And this bothers the great 12th century sage Maimonides, who interprets God hardening Pharaoh's heart as meaning that repentance was withheld from him and the liberty to turn from his wickedness was not accorded him. Soon, as the Jewish people's wilderness wandering begins, they will receive the Torah at Mount Sinai, finding that one of Judaism's great gifts to the world is laying out a path for teshuva, for repentance, of returning to our best selves, striving to realize our potential for goodness in the world. Judaism recognizes that we all have within us a yetzer hara, an evil inclination for making really bad, harmful, hurtful decisions, and also a yetzer hatov, an inclination for goodness, for loving ourselves and allowing that love to flow out into the world. And we can hear the words of teshuva at the heart of our high holiday service. Uteshuva, utefila, utsedaka, ma'averin et roa, hagzera. But through repentance, returning to the right path through prayer and righteous giving, um, we may be written into the book of life. As much as Maimonides wants to claim the hallowed ground of repentance in Judaism, he also recognizes that the gates are not open to everyone. Sometimes, Maimonides writes, a man's offense is so grave that he forecloses the possibility of repentance. At first, Pharaoh sinned repeatedly of his own will until, until he forfeited the capacity to repent. In other words, it wasn't God's responsibility for hardening Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh did it himself. And it shouldn't be lost on any of us. The confluence of our Torah portion and the commemoration of international Holocaust Remembrance Day. As we drown out the name of Haman on Purim, there will be no need tonight to drown out the names of all of those beyond the pale who forfeited their freedom of choice left to them. The road to repentance is barred even by the most compassionate heart. And having said that, Jews don't celebrate the repercussions that befall even our enemies. It's why when we sit at the Seder table each year, retell our Exodus story and celebrate our freedom from bondage, that we remove a drop of wine for each of the 10 plagues. Our joy diminished 
by the fate of the Egyptians who suffered through each plague and who drowned in the Red Sea after the Israelites safely crossed. On seeing the heavenly angels were about to break out in song, God silenced them, declaring, how dare you sing for joy when my creatures are dying? May our, our personal faith journeys never be buoyed at the expense of another. May we experience God's mighty hand and an outstretched arm there to embrace us with tenderness and love, holding us accountable when we lose our way, opening our heart to bring goodness into the world. Shabbat Shalom.